Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of That Time When. That Time When. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. So how are you doing this week, Amelia? I'm very busy this week. You are? Good lord. Okay. Yeah. So, I have a question for you. Go on. In these trying times of lockdown and... <laughs> What? I'm just laughing because this is the beginning of every single one of our podcasts, podcasts so far. <laughs> like, in these trying times. <laughs> well, it is a trying time. That's why we started a podcast. That is true. Yeah. But I'm very excited this week because this is also our first podcast where we've caught up with ourselves. Yes. Yeah. I had the last episode that was released... Like, that was our last pre-recorded episode, so this is quite exciting, new territory. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Almost relevant um, references. Yes, almost relevant, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's just talk about this. So, you and I have got a new TV recently. We have. We have. It's very big. It is, indeed. It's, It's... Helping us get through these trying times. Oh, they've been so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that certainly I've been watching, and I know you have a passing interest in, is WWE. Absolutely. Indeed. So, since I will immediately date this podcast, uh, I've watched SummerSlam recently and Payback's coming soon, <laughs> and I'm quite excited for it. And you've got, like, you're not as into it as I am, but you're... you're I'll you're, partake. You'll partake, won't you? And you, you like you like certain wrestlers. Like, you've, you're a fan of Finn Balor, aren't you? I am, and Lombardi is a fan of Seth Rollins. He is. For some reason, our rabbit absolutely loves Seth Rollins. He will, like, he will always run into the room when Seth Rollins on. There was one time where he was getting beaten up and Lombardi ran over to the TV and started climbing it like he was trying to save him. It was ridiculous. It's but, very strange. But anyway... What I want to know is, after Finn Balor has had a match, Mm -hmm. he's come off and you know he's all sweaty and grimy, would you be interested in scraping that sweat off him and rubbing it on your face? Dear God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Finn, if you're out there. I mean, I think we all would be a little bit interested in that. So... The reason I wanted to talk about this About bathing my face in Finn Balor's glistening, glistening sweat. Yes. The reason is because that is something that in history has happened. Not with Finn Balor. No, no, no. I knew you were going to go there, but no. Not with Finn Balor. But I'm talking about the precursors to WWE and indeed almost all sort of athletic events as we know it. I am talking this week about Roman Gladiators. Hey! So that's just a little bit of a tease for what's coming on. Specifically, I'm going to talk about the celebrity culture of Gladiators. Because okay. the thing is, I like with many of our episodes, we can't do just one on the entirety of Roman Gladiators. There's so much to it. There is a lot. Yeah, so I'm specifically going to be focusing on kind of the question as to whether or not gladiators were celebrities. Okay. Because this is something that is argued, and there's evidence for both sides. I'll admit there's more evidence for one side than there is in the other, but you'll see what I mean later on. So, the origin of Roman gladiators and official gladiatorial combat is, like everything in history... A debate. Yay! <laughs> okay, what's the what's the size to this? What so, we've got a number of different sources, and a lot of them are actually sort of much closer to that era than we are now. I mean, okay. we're talking about Livy, a Roman historian who's mm-hmm. living through the reign of Caesar Augustus, 
or if you want to pronounce it correctly, Caesar Augustus. No one wants to do that. I did Latin at school. I want to. I want to pronounce it correctly. Okay, you, can, you can show off that it's Caesar. <laughs> okay, the Caesar Augustus, which was uh, 63 BCE to 14 CE, yeah. or 14 AD, depends on how you want to go with these things. I tend to go with CE. I find these days, like let's go with CE. If yeah. anyone wants to get offended by that, then. Yeah. find other things to do with your time I mean yeah people measure history in different ways but I think having the common era works quite well because yeah. you know it is how we measure a lot of things it's like I know that um, China frequently measures by the birth of China Fantastic. so it's like X years before or after the birth of China Great. <laughs> so yeah I'm going to go with CE and BCE Fabulous. Okay. So Livy claimed that they went back to 310 BCE by the Campanians. And these were one of the Italian tribes that eventually all became grouped together under Rome. Right. Campanians. Campanians, yes. Right, right, okay. From Campania. It's part really? of Italy. Yeah. Okay, okay. What, what's, what's distressing you about this? Well, okay, so... In French, mm -hmm. La Campagne. Oh, it's the countryside, it's the isn't countryside. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the reason why we have campaigns in military mm. things, is because you go out on your big countryside yeah. uh, rambles, like, because we're talking probably medieval times, everyone had campaigns where yeah. you'd go and fight in the French countryside, which is massive. Well, there's no silent G in this Campania or Campania. Okay. So take your... Filthy French pronunciation elsewhere. We're going with Italian, well, Latin pronunciations here. <laughs> okay, so Livy is claiming that the Campanians were the first sort of gladiatorial uh, combat people, basically. Okay. They did technically steal it from an older group, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> sure. You have uh, Nicholas of Damascus, who was a Jewish historian of the same era, who believed that they were developed by the Etruscans. And the Etruscans mm -hmm. were another Italian group who were assimilated by Rome from about the 4th century BCE right up to the 1st century BCE. Okay. It took a long while, partly because there were some wars and political moves, and eventually Etruscans were allowed uh, Roman citizenship, and then they just kind of devolved into sure. it. Now, in the 7th century, the Archbishop of Seville, uh, Isidore of Seville... I know Isidore of Seville. Do you? I know of him, yeah. Ah, well, he pointed out that the word Lannister, not Game of Thrones, yeah. Lannister, I should say, Lannister, not Lannister, goddammit, <laughs> uh, which is a word meaning sort of manager of gladiators, uh, comes from an Etruscan word meaning executioner. Great. I don't know what the word is, because most of the Etruscan language has vanished. Yeah. Um... But there's other sort of parallels between Etruscan language and gladiatorial terms. Like, there was a there was a person who would lead the gladiators to the arena. Okay. Who was known as uh, I know I know the jokes. He was known as Charon. Charon. Charon, as Charon. in Charon, as in oh. the as in the oh, like the guy with the boat. Exactly. Who takes to the land of the dead. But that comes from the Etruscan of Charon. Right. Uh, who was Psychopomp of the Underworld as well. It's likely that the name was taken from the Greek, yeah. and we don't know what the actual Etruscan word for it is. Okay. But either way, they had it, and then it went to Rome. Uh, on a side note, the purpose of the Charon was not only to bring them to the ring, but also to make sure, if they died in the arena, to make sure they were dead by hitting them in the head with a hammer. Oh, 
my gut. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was also uh, <laughs> it was also to put them out of their misery if they yeah. were like slowly dying, but it's just that just makes me think too much of like Midsummer, the film. Oh yes, yeah. Do they have a big hammer? Or is it like a rock? They they have a rock that they jump onto. No, like afterwards. Oh, they do afterwards. Yes, they do have a hammer. hammer. Yeah, it's grim. Yeah. Good film, though. Good film. Try not to give you any spoilers there. Yeah. Um, So evidence does admittedly point more in one direction, which is the Campanian origin. There are tombs showing frescoes of people in gladiatorial combat from about 4th century BCE. And the Etruscan links are a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So... What I'm saying, though, is like most things, the Romans took something from somewhere else and made it their own. Great. Now, the original Campanian gladiatorial games were said to take place at their feasts. They were not like big arena spectacles, but private things for like elite parties. Sure. Now, it's possible that this is part of a smear campaign by the Romans against the Campanians, particularly the Capuans. Now, Capua is a city in mm-hmm. Campania, and it's the sort of the major uh, city. And Capua specifically defected to Carthage to fight against the Romans. Oh, those sneaky Capuans. Yeah, so there's probably a bit of a smear campaign, because they also said things like um, the gladiators would fight each other at these feasts, and then their blood would flow across the floors, and the guests would scoop it up and mix it in with their food and eat it, which just no, sounds gross. That sounds really grim, and also like a way to get hepatitis. Really. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, it it just it, it's just not hygienic. I don't think. I could imagine the idea of having small fights at a private dinner, though. Yeah, and there does seem to be some more evidence for this. There are um, visitors from Greece who observed these sorts of events. And, like, I I think that the question kind of is how brutal were they or were they more theatrical? Because (laughs) gladiatorial combat has a really interesting history. Um, These sorts of gladiatorial bats that I'm talking about in Campania were different from, say, what you might call gladiators in Celtic and Germanic countries. Okay. Because what they would do... Well, the specific difference is in Campania, these fights were to the death. Right. And in the Celtic and Germanic cultures, what the Romans would call less civilised... Yeah. Super barbarians. Super barbarians... The deaths were only ever the result of an accident or if someone went a bit out of control and the audience basically didn't rush in to stop right. them in time. <laughs> okay, so more like WWE. People yeah. doing backflips off the top rope. That kind yeah, of absolutely. Wonderful. Oh my god, I really want to see that now. <laughs> <laughs> what Germanic people's doing backflips off I mean, the top rope. Yeah, like woed all over the place. and Ah, oh, yes. Fantastic. Excellent. So this is the Campanian form of gladiatorial combat. But Livy places the earliest official Roman gladiatorial fights at 264 BCE. This is during the First Punic War, the war mm-hmm. against Carthage. Okay, great. So a... Yes? Sorry, that makes a lot of sense to me because I'd heard of Livy before. Mm-hmm. Just because uh, my mum, having been a, set, a student of Latin as well, in the years before the Cambridge Latin course, <gasps> I know. Caecilius um, Estin Horto. <laughs> my mother knows nothing of Caecilius <laughs> or his Horto. Um, but instead, uh, she used to study Livy, uh, his book about ah, Hannibal and his campaigns. Yes, 
Well, I mean, that was particularly important for this because that was part of Capua's defection was for Hannibal. So this is why I know Livy, it turns out, from literally the same source. Yeah. Cool. So Livy, in particular, is talking about the work of one man here who kind of started the fad of gladiators. Okay. And I'm going to do the proper pronunciation. Go on. It is Decimus Unius Brutus Skywa. Four names. Four names, yes. Yeah, that was was fairly common. Was it? Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Okay. If you want to sort of like make it a bit more modern, it would be Decimus Junius Brutus Skyver. He hosted a fight in the cattle market of ancient Rome. Which, okay. okay. Those poor cattle, they must well, look a bit startled. Well, okay, so this is a trading market. It's, yeah, they yeah. were there. Anyway, one thing I do want to point out, which is great. So the cattle market, I'm going to mispronounce it first because the mispronounced name is much better. It's the Forum Boreum. Hey! Okay. <laughs> it's actually pronounced Boarium. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so Decimus Unius Brutus Skywa, mm-hmm. uh, he hosted a Munace. Which is a word that has not an easy way to translate it because it kind of changed as it went along. It meant a number of different things. Technically, it means like duty or gift. Okay. But it was also done to mean like public entertainment, basically. Okay. So it's munes or munera for the plural. They were often known as like the munera. Okay, so is this like a sort of gift to the city? Sort of. In this case, it was actually a gift to his father. His father had died, and this was done as part of a funeral rite. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it looks like this sort of behaviour was a bit of a cultural exchange, because at this point, Campania was pretty heavily into the Roman Empire, or what was becoming the Roman Empire. And this cultural exchange had happened, and uh, this guy, uh, Brutus Skywer, he wanted to have these gladiatorial bouts Mm -hmm. as a sacrifice. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of based on the idea of sacrificing to the manes or spirits of the ancestors. Livy himself doesn't really talk about the sacrificial function and instead sort of focuses on the history and theatrical aspects of this. Yeah. But from this point and for a while afterwards, gladiatorial combat was more of a sacrificial event for honouring deities, ancestor spirits, and serving part of expensive funeral rites. Excellent. Although I do have this image now of like, what if you did a funeral for somebody and you had your little gladiatorial battle, and then you have to do a funeral for the guy who dies, (laughs) and you do a gladiatorial battle, then you do a funeral for that guy, it just goes on and on and on. So one thing about gladiators, which I will talk about later, is that they were generally taken from slave castes or lower-born people. This is like, this is an extravagant funeral. So at at the one that uh, Brutus Skyver hosted, it was three pairs of gladiators. And the next one that happened, I think I read it was 26 pairs. Oh my God. Yeah. So these are, they're like, if you're doing this, you're doing this for someone important because the amount of money that it would take is tremendous. And are these still fights to the death that's happening? At these point, at this point, yes, because these are sacrifices. Yeah. These are blood sacrifices, but they became really popular. Yeah, because. That makes sense. Romans were super into their brutal blood sports. Absolutely. Like, they absolutely loved this sort of stuff. And more things from uh, from Campania got introduced because the Campanians would also use these gladiatorial bouts to basically do historical reenactments. And they would... 
showcase previous victories of the Campanians over, in particular, the Samnites. Okay. Who they may have taken gladiatorial fighting from. Great. And they did not like them at all. They would have dressed, they would dress one side up as the sort of the glorious Campanians who are honourable and civilised and then the Samnites were like barbaric and vicious and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what would happen if the wrong person won. I mean, presumably you'd give the side you want to win like better weapons I imagine so I imagine so but Romans saw this and were like yeah we want some of that we want some of this like entertaining interesting theatre in our uh, blood sports absolutely I mean I like I like I kind of like the idea of reenactments that are serious (laughs) not like nowadays when you can see them getting up off the battlefields absolutely no 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 you want them dead yep (laughs) At this point, the Romans start introducing more and more theatrics. The gladiatorial fights become bigger and bigger and bigger. They become hosted in, like, private arenas, Mm -hmm. and everything becomes very, very expensive. Despite the sacrificial origins, the entertainment factor was winning out hands down. Okay. And deaths were much less common at this point. The highest estimates put it at about one in five bouts ending in death. And the lowest are about one in nine. Okay. So it's like, it's still significant. That's still pretty high. Like, if that was WWE, then oh, there yeah. would be some issues with that company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what I am saying is, like, rather than it certainly ending in death, the chance has suddenly plummeted. Yeah. So and it's not like a 50-50 chance when you walk in the arena that you'll die. Exactly. Okay. And there are a number of reasons for this. And most of them involve money and popularity. Okay. So, at this point, it's expensive to train a gladiator. Not only do you have the cost of housing a slave, Mm -hmm. um, but you also have to train them, publicise them, and outfit them. You don't want to spend thousands of denarii getting a gladiator ready and then just having them die in their first match. Yeah, that makes sense. And presumably you also want them to be, like, uh, quite well-fed, and um, you can't just give them, like, whatever crappy food you'd normally give your slaves. Yeah, so this is... Like, Roman slavery isn't interesting concept because it's not like the way we would think of slavery generally nowadays Mm. I mean it's a complicated matter that I'm not going to go into on this podcast because it is meant to be a comedy podcast and (laughs) any sort of discussion about slavery of any kind is going to go into awkward territory absolutely yeah no I get what you mean but like as far as I know Mm -hmm. um like we normally think of slavery being like Black slavery in America. Yeah. And didn't the Romans, like, you could buy your freedom reasonably easily? You could buy your freedom or you had, like, a specific set amount of time and then afterwards your former master would basically be your patron and give you money to, like, make sure you live life as a freedman. So that's more like the indentured servants who went over to America. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a mix of a lot of things. And I think it was, a lot of stuff was very individual. Like, some masters would treat their slaves much better than other masters would. And I think, obviously, the people who didn't treat their slaves well abused them horrifically. And yeah. there's no way of defending that sort of thing. Like, regardless of whether or not some people were nice to their slaves, you know. You don't really want to be like, some people were nice to their slaves, so it was okay. Exactly, no. (laughs) No, That's not the argument that we're going to make or talk about. But the point to make here, though, is that most of these gladiators did come from slaves. Uh, There were condemned criminals as well. But some people also volunteered 
some okay. freedmen would who like were previously slaves would kind of go not back into slavery, yeah. but they would join up with a ludus, a gladiator school, okay. and train and fight. And reasons for that I'll talk about in a sec. So, like I said at the beginning, what I mostly want to talk about here is the sort of celebrity culture around gladiators. And it's it's one that, as I say, you can get arguments for and against. Okay. So firstly, I'm going to talk about the arguments against it. And most of these <laughs> I got from, of all places, Reddit. Hey! <laughs> so I feel better about my use of, my constant use of Wikipedia now. <laughs> so this was on a subreddit called Ask Historians. And okay. the person who I read from, whose name I've completely forgotten and didn't make a note of, uh, is actually a historian of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Okay. Who was kind of answering this direct question of whether or not they were celebrities. Uh, so he did a very, sh like, comparatively short answer. But the point that he made against it is the first... We have to remember that these are blood sports. Yeah. Uh, participants were usually, as I say, slaves or condemned criminals. And even if the risk of death was lower than it had been in the early days, and... At this point, gladiators were taught to wound and not kill. Yeah. Mistakes can happen. And presumably you can also get infections yeah, if you absolutely. get hurt. Or at, at, at later on as well, when you start introducing wild animals to the arena, they <laughs> yeah. haven't been taught to wound. They're going to go for the throat. Yeah. Yeah. Lombardi going to f*** you up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. But would that stop people from treating these people like celebrities. It possibly. I think the idea there is that it would be harder to create a strong celebrity culture when your celebrity could just die yeah. like very quickly. I mean, no, obviously like there's there are things these days about people dying young like there's the whole 27 club thing. Yeah. Um and obviously like you you hear you see in the news like oh such and such has died and it's really sad, but it's not it's not mm. Like, you can't, you you're can't. not seeing, you're not seeing, oh, who's a famous actor? Um, well, nowadays. Yeah. Ryan Gosling? You're not seeing Ryan Gosling on screen and going, oh, there's a one in five chance. He's not walking away from La La Land alive. <laughs> so. Oh my God, who's running his lions on the set of La La Land? <laughs> it would make it entertaining. <laughs> I haven't seen La La Land. I don't particularly want to, but I would if there were lions on the set. <laughs> oh dear so yeah like the fact that they can just die quite easily and particularly early in their career it's hard to kind of build up that celebrity culture yeah. so the idea is maybe it's just at the echelons of it yeah okay so like in WWE which I assume we're going to reference quite a lot a uh, fair amount um, yes there is a tendency for the company to like go all out behind one particular person. Yeah. So, like, I think an example of this recently would be, like, Roman Reigns. Yeah. Um, and you can really tell when they're doing that because they do loads of promotions for mm -hmm. them and they make sure they get all the best matches. Yeah. But presumably it would be quite difficult to do the same thing for a gladiator that you wanted to make really big and celebrity-ish if you knew that putting him forward for all the best matches yeah. means that he's more likely to die. Yeah, absolutely. But... There are some arguments to be made for celebrity of gladiators, which is often used in the form of graffiti. Okay. Now, I'm going to first argue the point that this graffiti actually goes against that idea. The Romans graffitied everything. 
Papyrus and wax tablets, which like we typically know as the Roman writing tools, yeah. they're expensive. Okay. So most writing was just kind of done on walls all over the place, mostly in public places. I've heard a lot about Roman graffiti mm. and a lot about it being kind of filthy. It, it, it is. I mean, so what we've got here, I've got an example of some graffiti in Pompeii, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about Pompeii because, you know, it's the best preserved city. Mm. So it's most historians will go to Pompeii for like ideas about Roman life. Uh, we've got here... Uh, Creakies or Creases with his trident who catches the girls at night in his net. He is lord of all the girls. Or there is Kiladus the Thracian who makes the girls' hearts beat faster. Oh, Kiladus. I know. What a heartthrob. Now, a lot of people go, oh, okay, people are like writing messages about these and about how all the ladies love them, so they must be celebrities. Right. This Reddit user <laughs> points out that the gladiators knew how to read or write, or else were taught how to read or write. There is every possibility they wrote these messages themselves in kind of the Roman equivalent of writing on a toilet stall in a school about how many girls such and such gets. <laughs> I mean, that makes a load of sense. Yeah. And also, I swear there are lots of, like, the Pompeii pieces of graffiti mm. where people are literally just talking trash about their friends or saying, like... Oh, yeah. I, I do get all the girls, etc. Yeah. And, you know, then going really into too much detail. And it's like, <laughs> Jesus, Romans, calm down. So those sort of, like, personal messages, kind of... We don't know the origin of them. Maybe it is, like, a screaming fangirl wrote it. Or yeah. maybe it's a manager, like, promoting this person. We don't know. But what we do know is that the Romans would also use this graffiti to basically put up posters advertising fights. Okay. So, back to Pompeii again. There's surviving graffiti there, advertising an upcoming gladiatorial bout, and attention was paid to how many wins the combatants had before. Okay. Publius Ostorius, for example, his name appears in Pompeii, is advertised as winning 51 battles. Bloody hell, all right. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? And the supposition behind this is that you're wanting to do this to draw a crowd. Yeah. Like, there's, there doesn't seem to be much reason other than, like, odds betting. But I don't think mm. you do that in, like, a public place like that. This is a way of going, like, this person has won 51 battles. You want to see them. They are good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that. Yeah. You don't want to watch amateurs battle away at each other you want someone who knows what they're doing going back to wwe again it's like the difference between watching uh professional wrestlers like watching a match between ah oh, who's at the moment like let's say uh seth rollins and who could i put seth rollins against i mean i always want to put finn balor in but we've already no, we've, mentioned we've done, him we've done for that. uh let's say seth rollins versus biggie yes i'd love to see seth rollins and biggie that would be great it would be amazing yeah so it'd be the difference between, like, watching a match between them and watching two blokes from down the pub just kind of swinging at each other without actually hitting, yeah. but just sort of, like, going, Aah. like, it, one's more fun than the other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the second one sounds quite fun as well. It does honest. sound quite fun, but you get bored of it quickly. Oh, yeah. Like, you watch, you watch things like WWE for the spectacle of it. Yeah. You want to see people doing really cool moves and everything like that. And this is the kind of idea of this graffiti. It's like, this person has had this many victories, mm -hmm. so you are going to want to see them. Yeah. And 
This is particularly important at this point in history because the games were expensive. <laughs> they were super expensive. The Munera had become ways for people to basically make a name for themselves in political circles. Okay. They could raise their status by hosting elaborate games uh, in honour of such and such people who are higher above them in the, mm. like, in the hierarchy of the Senate or anything like that. I love that. That's just so overt, like, ass-kissing. Oh, amazing. it is. It, it, to the point that the Senate had to start passing anti-corruption laws... <laughs> To try and stop people basically buying support through yeah. these games. Uh, Caesar Augustus, he, like, these anti-corruption laws did not work, but Augustus put a spending cap on them instead. Oh my gosh. Okay. And kind of made them sort of state-only events. Like, there were, there, yeah. were, there were set sorts of gladiator fights that could happen. But what this is saying is that you want these people names to draw a crowd. Yeah. It's a celebrity culture. It's the equivalent of going to, like... A pantomime because Dave from down the block is in it rather than a pantomime because Ryan Gosling for some reason has survived the lion attack and is there. <laughs> I want to see a pantomime with Ryan Gosling in it. Now. I mean, I do too. But... That would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. Another example is what I mentioned at the beginning and the title of this episode. Souvenirs would be sold after the games and these would include scraps gathered from the arena Mm -hmm. and products such as cosmetics made from the sweat and the blood of particular gladiators. Okay, so I love the fact that you've used the term cosmetics. Yes. So I'm just going to go out here and say it. Like, I'm a little bit interested in skincare, mm -hmm. particularly I'm past I attempt to do the uh, Korean 10-step skincare regime. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that if you wipe sweat and blood on your face... It will not do you any good. So it's not just the sweat and the blood. What would happen is a gladiator leaves the arena. They take the, uh, they take the, oh God, I can't remember the term for it. The tool that they use to scrape them down in the yeah. baths. They do that. Basically scrape all the various excretia off them. Okay. Then mix it with fats and oils and basically create a skin cream. So I'll be saying that it's probably not so much no. blood and sweat. Like no. it's like... A little, a, a little addition, a little super. A little added addition that you know you've got, uh, you've got Marcus Atilius's sweat on you. But also, this kind of speaks to the fact that at this point we have examples of gladiators kind of being sex symbols. Mm. Roman women would apparently, like noble Roman women, would fall for particular gladiators. It's really like. D.H. Lawrence, you know, raw eroticism, oh nature gosh. sort of thing. I am so bored with my bed-bound Roman senator husband. Exactly. Thank goodness there's this rugged gladiator yeah. type to sweep me off my feet. Exactly. Wonderful. Like, there are, yeah, there are examples of this. Um, how accurate they are, I don't know. I read this one account, and I want to say it because, like, possibly it is an example of this, like, celebrity sex culture. I'm not convinced, but I'm going to say it anyway. The body of a woman was found in a ludus in Pompeii with a number of male bodies around her. The woman was dressed in really expensive jewellery and the men were not. The okay. men were clearly the bodies of slaves. Or gladiators in this yeah. case. Now, some historians speculate that this was a noblewoman sleeping with a group of gladiators. Right. I think that's a bit sensationalist. <laughs> Because she may well have just been part of the family that owned the Ludus. Yeah. 
and was like touring it or hiding from the eruption or anything. Yeah. It's one of those I things mean... where historians frequently try to sex up history a bit and it's like, oh, look at her. She was having like a big old orgy with these gladiators while Vesuvius was erupting. Um, I mean, what, that... what a way to go yeah. if you're gonna do, if you're gonna be part of the Pompeii eruption. <laughs> why not find a bunch of gladiators? <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be a good orgy if it distracts you from a volcano erupting nearby. Mm. Okay, but that reminds me way too much of this one time when, like, completely unrelated to the Romans for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they found uh, the body of a couple. Yeah. Lying side by side. And one of them had a sword mm. on the other side to the other skeleton. Yeah. Um, and the other one was wearing jewellery. Yeah. So they go, okay, so this is a man and his wife. Mm. Uh, the man is a soldier. Yeah. And his wife is wearing jewellery. Mm. And then they look at the bones further and they go, hold on a second. The jewellery wearing one is actually a male skeleton. Mm. And the sword holding one is a female skeleton. And then they go, oh, so obviously the female one is holding the sword because it's his sword, so she's looking after <laughs> it. And the men, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a weird, and I think that they're slowly getting over this whole, like, particular way of assuming things. But yeah. traditionally in archaeology, there is a sort of very strange set of assumptions that people tend yeah. to make. So I'm going down on the side of this is not an example of like gladiator sexualized culture. I mean, this is an example of a woman was in a ludos. Yeah. Like that's literally all they know, right? Yeah. Unless they're unless they're actually like entangled. <laughs> oh god. No, no. But I mean, I think that I don't know why they need to do this. There's plenty of evidence for like sexualizing the culture from Roman poetry. <laughs> like we don't need to go, oh, there's a woman in the ludos. So, ignoring that, we do also have uh, the way that citizens of the Roman Empire were invested in gladiator bouts. Okay. In a form of, like, fervent celebrity culture of worship of these people. Competing gladiatorial schools often had rivalries. And these were sometimes friendly or sometimes they really weren't. Oh, no. (laughs) And this would sometimes transition to the arena and citizens would be supporting one school over another. Right. It seems it was more likely to occur when people came from different regions. They're, Wait, it, are you saying there were like away games? Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Okay. Yeah. In uh, 59 CE, in Pompeii, there were gladiatorial bouts between native Pompeians and visiting Nucerians. <laughs> okay. And basically the crowd got so riled up with each other that riots erupted. And okay. they, they were so bad that... The emperor at the time, who was Nero, banned the games in Pompeii for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it sounds a bit like traditional British football. It it really (laughs) is. It's football hooliganism, but with gladiatorial combat. Yes. Like, it's, it's really rough when you say that, like, the, the fighting in the crowd was worse than the fighting in the arena. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And also, I love the fact it's Nero who's like, nope, this is too much. Oh, I've got more to talk about Nero later on. I know you do, because didn't Nero build the Colosseum? Uh, I wasn't actually going to talk about that, but yes. Um, But I'm going to talk about something else instead with Nero. Go on. So speaking of emperors, uh, a lot of the emperors either saw that the games were really popular and wanted to sort of get in on that popularity, or they loved them themselves. So 
there are a number of emperors who decided to get involved in gladiatorial combat. Oh my god. Okay. Now, these usually took the form of spectacle fights, mm. and they were often so ridiculous just to make sure the emperor was never oh, in sure. any danger. Uh, Pliny the Elder, which Pliny the uh... Elder is awesome. Uh, if you listen to Sawbones, the podcast about medical history, they talk a lot about, they talk a lot the, about Pliny the Elder. He's awesome. He wrote an account where he witnessed one of these spectacle fights with the Emperor Claudius. Okay. You have on one side, (laughs) you have on one side, the Emperor Claudius. You have on the other side, a beached whale. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Claudius was given a sword and just told to hack at this whale. Oh my God. Yeah. I should point out, these vanity bouts were never popular. The citizens hated them, but it was for the ego of the emperor, and who's going to deny them? Like, wasn't Claudius sort of well known for being a bit of a drip? Like, Mm. not particularly physically strong. Yeah. Had a constantly runny nose. Yeah, so I think this is is probably like an idea of like, oh, look how powerful he is. Look how powerful he is. He took on (laughs) this dead whale. It wasn't dead, it was just beached. (laughs) Okay, where was was this? Oh, I don't know. Like, if it was in Rome. Oh, no, it wasn't in Rome. Okay. No, no, no. It would have been somewhere actually coastal. (laughs) That's what I meant. So, I mean... I'm just impressed that whoever these people were who fished this whale yeah. out of the sea and were like, okay, we've got to get it on time. Can you imagine the amount of, um, like, timing that yeah. they must have gone into that? Well, but that, also that poor whale. I mean, yes, that poor... The poor, all the animals. I mean, the, the animal stuff is crazy mm. when it comes to gladiatorial fighting. Uh, you went to the Colosseum, didn't you? And you saw all the places that used to have animals and like push them up into the arena oh, yeah like it was mad so yeah. um if you go to the Colosseum in rome you can get a tour and i highly recommend it if anyone goes um and it takes you first around the Colosseum and then around some other bits of like the ancient roman architecture um but when we got on the Colosseum tour our guide told us that uh basically there were like around a hundred different places in the floor for the animals to come up and mm. you'd probably stick a like for a big fight you'd stick an animal in each one of those yep. and uh, she claimed that there are actually species of animals that went extinct because of the number of the number of wild animals that were being shipped over especially from like places like northern africa yeah damn which is mad romans love killing oh they love killing <laughs> But back to emperors for a sec. Uh, another reason that we think of these people as celebrities, gladiators, not the emperors so much, yeah. <laughs> um, is that emperors and wealthy patricians would lavish gifts upon their favourite gladiators. Back to Nero. Hey. Nero had a particular favourite who was called Spiculus. Okay. And... Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a silly I name. I love Latin names. I know, I know. Nero loved him. Nero gave him, like, tons of money, uh, jewellery, art items. And apparently, I read one source that said that he gave Spiculus a house. Okay. But Spiculus wasn't able to live in it because he was staying... He was a slave. Yeah. <laughs> right. Another source I read also suggested that Nero was so infatuated with Spiculus that he wanted to die by Spiculus's hand. Okay. So when Nero was on his deathbed, 
Spiculus was sent for to perform the killing blow, oh but no God. one could find him. Oh no. <laughs> so Nero died just before they could get Spiculus there. Um, okay. I'm going to ask a question yeah? at this point. Is it possible that Nero was having a relationship with Spiculus? Uh, entirely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he... Nero, there are a lot of stories about his relationships, and some of them are really creepy, and I don't recommend you read about okay. them because they're really horrible. Yeah. Uh, don't know how true they are because there's a certain wanting of, you know, painting Nero as a crazy figure, and he was crazy. I, I'm not going to deny that. Mm. Um, but it's one of those, to what extent was he crazy? Was he really crazy enough to take a boy who looked like his dead wife and castrate him and make him dress up as his wife and take him as a lover? I mean, why would he need to do the castration part? Like, I thought that that was a common feature of Roman sexuality. Not in this case! Okay! <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah, Nero's a bit grim. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story about Nero if you like. Yeah, sure. So... We got do time. You know, do you know why the Colosseum's called the Colosseum? Why? It's because of the Colossus that was outside. Ah, okay. So normally, um, like they're just called like you know arenas. Yeah, amphitheaters. Amphitheaters. Um, however, the Colosseum is the Colosseum specifically because when Nero built it, mm -hmm. he had basically cleared off the whole of Rome, the whole of Capitol Hill, um, which originally everyone was living up on Capitol Hill, and he was like, I want this big old yeah palace i'm gonna clear this off and i'm gonna put a big massive golden statue of myself of course outside the amphitheater yep and it's gonna be called the coliseum <laughs> um i think that was nero anyway it's either him or caligula well either way it was a mad bastard yeah <laughs> like that's the point in history when it's the, the it's, you know it's the lead in the water pipes turning everyone crazy to give you impression of how gigantic this thing was i think it was around the height of the coliseum oh my god taller. that's crazy yeah right and yeah i wouldn't put it past either caligula or nero no. so yeah they were both mad oh yeah so i presented to you a few arguments for whether or not gladiators could be considered celebrities yeah i personally think I i'm leaning more in favor of gladiators were celebrities like once you reach a certain point yeah like obviously if you're lower down the rung you're not going to be celebrities but then isn't it kind of the same today when we think of like entertainers or actors for example sure you start like... off a nobody and then suddenly you get into one particular role and everyone like people know you you start getting cast in more things it's kind of like that with gladiators really i mean it makes sense even if we go back to our wwe mm -hmm. um ideas like there's NXT, which is, or was originally, like, for up-and-comers. The developmental part. It kind of still is. Like, they treat it as such, but officially it's not, really. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really know who any of the people on NXT are. That's um, fair. And I suspect that's probably the case for most people who are vaguely into WWE, but not, like, super into it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you get onto Raw, and then you get more well-known, and eventually you become Roman Reigns. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if we want to really piss off the angry keyboard warriors of oh, let's do it. the Squared Circle subreddit, they'll kind of always go, oh, NXT is much better. And it's like, yeah, it's better in a number of different ways. But I mean, 
if you're a casual fan like me, you don't care. No. Like, I'm not I'm not one of these people who's going to be like, oh, WWE is so much better than AEW, or vice versa. I don't care. I just want to watch sweaty men tumbling around. But what <laughs> I mean sweaty is, sweaty women, like, too. If people had made it onto any of the, like, TV shows, yeah. you'd assume that they're celebrities, but they're not really until they get to, like, no. a really high point. So it's yeah. kind of the same deal, I guess, for gladiators. Like, yeah. you start off small, then you make it into a proper ludus, and then, like... Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that, ultimately, the fact that we have these, like, high-tier celebrities is kind of the biggest evidence we have that this is a celebrity culture. Like, regardless of what level it is... These are people who effectively are slaves or like low-born people mm. who we know about and we know stories about them. Yeah. Like, I mentioned briefly Marcus Attilius. Yeah. He was a freeborn man, and you can tell that because he has two names. Yeah. Who was basically sent to his death to fight against Hilarus, who was a gladiator who had previously won 13 wreaths of honour. Whoa. It's basically like MVP yeah, okay. of the of the particular <laughs> games that he was part of. And Marcus Attilius won. Wow. On his first bout against yeah. someone who was like super veteran status. And then he fought uh, Lucius Rikius Felix, who was another freeborn, who had won 12 wreaths of honour. Okay. And Marcus Attilius won Whoa. again. And at this point, suddenly, he was like the guy. Yeah. Because... It's a newcomer who's taken down two people. It's like two like veterans. And that to me suggests that this is a celebrity culture. It's not yeah. so much about, you know, just having this good show or anything like that, but you want the people. You want like someone who is interesting and tells a good story and like how they do their yeah. thing. Like that makes a lot of sense to me though, because I think even with like the Romans mm -hmm. who we know are um, like pretty bloodthirsty lot of Oh yeah. Um like everyone likes the same types of stories. Yeah. Like, you like the people who start off as the underdog, but then they immediately, like, take over the whole thing and yeah. they're just much better than everyone. So you want to see that, like, star rising and all that kind of thing. Or you want people who are just kind of, like, amazing at what they do, like uh, Carpophorus, who was a uh, Bastarii, okay. which was a, a beast fighter. They fight wild animals. Uh, he was known to have in one bout killed 20 wild animals which includes lions tigers and bears oh, oh my, my. <laughs> um he also took on a rhino armed with just a spear what and one what yeah okay i'm not one for cruelty to no animals, i know i know that is all dreadful same, that's dreadful but at the same time i kind of want to see that it's so like i think this is a thing i think this is why it's really easy to like look at gladiators and kind of go yes mm. these are celebrities of the time because they do these amazing feats just for the spectacle of it and then they like they go back to more shows you draw in more and more people like like i've said the gladiatorial uh, fights and games they were big deals yeah so you want your biggest name people there and i don't know what else to call that but celebrity it does sound like it yeah so a question i'd have is yeah. do we know how much people would have benefited from that sort of high-up status. Oh, uh, gladiators were... You remember I was telling you about Nero giving uh, Scipulus gifts, or yeah. Spiculus, rather? Yeah. Uh, they were allowed to keep those gifts. Those were 100% mm -hmm. theirs. Okay. So having wealthy patrons right. meant you... Or, like, people okay. who liked you meant you got more gifts, meant you got money, meant you could, like, spend it as you wish. Like, gladiators, obviously, in, in many cases, were not free. Yeah. 
But they still had certain freedoms that other slaves might not have. Yeah. Or, like, it depends on... It goes back yeah. to the argument about Roman slavery, about how much freedom they had to kind of go and do their own thing. Like, we know, obviously, that not every gladiator was happy with their lot. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Spartacus and the yeah. gladiatorial rebellion. But... But... You could be a well-thought-of yeah. person, like a well-thought-of gladiator, and then get loads of presents, and... Or even, you could get your freedom. So, in particular here, I'm thinking about two gladiators, uh, Priscus and Verus, or Verus. Mm-hmm. They were mostly just sort of, like, competent fighters, like, they were pretty good, they were never, like, amazing, but they became these celebrities as a result of their legendary final battle. Okay. Because they faced off against each other. Right. Having fought side by side for a long while, like they were a tag team. Oh and no! Then... <laughs> and then they turned on one another. Yeah. In the first century CE, in the famous Flavian Amphitheatre, mm-hmm. they were to have their like ultimate final battle. Nice. And yeah, Marshall, the poet Marshall, uh, documented the fight. Okay. Marshall exaggerates. Okay. I'm going to say that. He says that they fought for hours. I don't think that's really possible. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe the audience would get bored at that point. I think they would too. But according to Marshall, like, they were so good that no one was bored. And eventually it got to the point where they each submitted to each other at the same time. So the emperor at the time, Titus... Mm-hmm. was so like moved by how this battle had concluded and how well it had been fought that he awarded both of them with uh, the rudis, or a small wooden sword, which was representative of their freedom. Awesome. So they do have stuff to win by being good at what they do. Okay. But so there's... not just by being celebrities, but by being talented celebrities. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. But again, you don't even have to be talented if you're just like like, good at performing for the crowd, Mm. then you could get a lot of stuff out of it. That's true. Now, I think that some of these stories of these gladiators are amazing, and I think that it is worthwhile looking them up, but there are a number of them that I would say are from dubious sources that tend to be lists entitled things like 10 famous gladiators you've never heard of, (laughs) and invariably number one is Spartacus, and it's like... (laughs) Like, really? Really? Never heard of him? Oh my god. Yeah. So, like, they are great, and some of them are bizarre. Yeah. But that is where I think I'm going to end it for this week. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about gladiators. So my question is now, do you want a skin cream made with Finn Balor's sweat? Um... Say yes. Yes, you do. And that's because you're so ingrained in the celebrity culture of it all. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for joining us on that time. You know what we haven't talked about? What haven't we talked about? Game of Girl bath water. Yes. Should we? No, we'd be revisiting things. We would be revisiting things. Oh, well. Oh, well. So thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of That Time When. Thank you to Kevin Cloud for our theme song Anachronist and any other music I've put in. And thank you to you for listening. Please rate and subscribe and give us five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to email us and let us know your thoughts about Gladiator Sweat, um, our <laughs> email address is ttwpod at gmail.com. 
or you can follow us on Twitter at that time when four, or you can just search that time when, and we should pop up there. You can see our little shield done by uh, the amazing Kira Jack. Shout out to Kira Jack whoop, whoop. and her podcast, um, the, the Unexceptionals. Unexceptionals. Yes, yes, absolutely. Listen to that, and then. Tell more people about ours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not giving you free advertising. We want something out of it in return. <laughs> so thank you very much and see you next time.